Well, good morning, guys. Pleasure to be here with you this morning, this Sunday. I'll tell you and kind of introduce myself and, and just um, it's important to set expectations. And so I want to set the bar really low. And if, if you're here and visiting with us this morning that our, our pastor is in the middle of a sabbatical and I'm just one of the guest speakers here this morning, I am not, this isn't a place I find myself uh, many Sunday mornings. I'm a contractor during the week. I work with guys that, that build things and, and uh, pound nails and stuff like that. So I'm a little nervous. My, before this week started, I used to buckle my belt out a notch. I had a full head of hair, all my fingernails. I could hold a cup of coffee without this. But, but anyway, I'm glad to be here with you. Um, some of you know, probably many of you that are here, that, that, are, that have been at Summit know that about a month and a half ago, a group of us went down to um, a retreat in New Hampshire, the Johnny and Friends Retreat. And that's a, a camp, it's a week where we serve families with, that have adult, children's, uh, adult children with disabilities. And so each of us, what we do during that week is each one of us um, was assigned, we were matched to serve a, a camper. Uh, an adult with a disability. My match, um, his name is Brian Sullivan. Brian is a great guy. He's 34 years old. Uh, he's confined to a wheelchair. He, he can't talk, he can't, uh, he can't speak, he can't say sentences. He can, he can blink his eyes or he can point to say yes if you ask him a question or, and he can just shake his head a little bit to say no. But Brian wasn't always like that. At 12 years old, Brian rode his bike down to the end of the driveway and was struck by a pickup truck that never saw him. Threw him into the, into the woods, um, put him in a coma for five months. And I talked to his mom because his mom was at the camp there too and asked her about that. And how do you deal with that? How do you handle circumstances? That was nothing that she ever would have had planned, no script that she would have had written for her child's life. How do you do that? And she's got a, just a tremendous testimony. And, and Linda would tell you that despite all the difficulties that she and Brian have faced and they continue to face, that God's hand has been on their lives through, through all of that. In law... Circumstantial evidence is evidence that relies on an inference to connect it to a conclusion of fact. So the best and simplest example of circumstantial evidence is fingerprints. If someone leaves behind fingerprints, while they may not have been physically seen, those fingerprints are evidence that they were there. Have you ever thought about the Lord like that? how in the most difficult times in our lives, we may not be able to physically see him, but his fingerprints are left behind. And it is also in our own handling of difficult circumstances, the way that we face trials and tests, the decisions that we make during those that reveals the most evidence about our own faith. Have you ever found yourself suddenly dropped into the middle of circumstances that you've had no control over? Sometimes life doesn't work out the way that we have it planned. 
Sometimes life doesn't go according to script. There are times when things turn out far differently than we ever expected. And there are moments in life when we find ourselves in situations where there just are no easy answers. I remember one day at work, I was having a conversation with my, my friend Ken about some problem that we were trying to solve on the job site when his cell phone rang and he excused himself to take the call. And when he hung up, he walked back over and he said, I'm sorry, I, I got to go, I need to leave. And I could see that look on his face, that, that one that you get when you've just gotten some bad news. And I said, Ken, is everything okay? And he looked at me and he said, no, no, it isn't. And he proceeded to tell me that he had just found out that his, his daughter was pregnant. And I remember him saying, she's 16, Stace. I'm going home. I need to take care of this. And when he said that, there was no mistaking what that meant, that taking care of meant getting rid of. And my own daughter, Lindsay, was almost the same exact age, and the thing that went through my mind was that it could easily be me in his place, that the roles could be reversed, and what would I do if I were in his shoes? And I remember feeling the gravity of that moment, the weight of it, that this was a decision that mattered. What would you do? Where would you turn for answers? How would you handle a situation that had just been dropped on you? There are a lot of decisions to make in life, aren't there? It, it, in a lot of ways, life is just a constant stream of choices. And one of the biggest mistakes that people make regarding Christianity is the idea that when we become Christians, that all of our problems will just disappear. That we'll be able to avoid all of the, the pitfalls that face non-believers. That life will be easier. That we can somehow pull the right levers, flip the right switches, push the right buttons. But that's just not true, is it? We're not immune to the problems of life. We're not exempt from difficult situations. We all know what it feels like when things don't go according to plan. In fact, instead of getting easier, in a lot of ways, when we become Christians, life gets harder, more serious. It gets harder in this way, that, that once we become believers, a real change takes place inside of us. And we begin to view life differently, that life actually gets more complicated more complicated because we start to understand the stakes. We, we begin to understand what Jesus meant when he said there are two paths and that the path that we choose to go down in life counts. And we begin to realize that there's an internal, invisible struggle for control in our lives, in our decisions, especially when things aren't going right. Our decisions matter. They matter because they are evidence of what we believe, of who we place our trust in. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe in it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. That's faith. And it's in those tough circumstances, those things that can seem like a crisis, that can be what God uses to take us to his greater plan and to build our faith in Him. So over the past several weeks, we've been walking verse by verse through the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And last week, uh, Pastor Ian looked at the last days in the life of Joseph. And now the writer of Hebrews introduces us to Moses. 
Hebrews 11:23 through 26 says that by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edicts. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses was a great man of God. Moses' life was not easy, but God's fingerprints are all over his life and can, see, and can be seen right from the start. You probably have heard about Moses. You probably know something about him. How, as an infant, he was placed in that basket and floated down the Nile River and was rescued by, by a princess, the daughter of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. How she adopted him, and he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. How one day, when he, when he witnessed an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew, that he stepped in, and he, his anger boiled over, and he, and he killed that Egyptian. And when word of that got out, that he ran, he ran away. And that spent 40 years in the desert, with a, tending to a flock of sheep. And you may remember how at that time, shepherding a flock alone on the far side of a desert, that God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush. And he told Moses how he was going to send him back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and lead the Hebrews out of bondage. And so Moses did return. And you remember him saying the famous, those famous words, let, let my people go. It was Moses who God used to deliver the ten plagues to wear down the Pharaoh so that he, the Hebrews would be released from Egypt. And it was Moses who led the exodus out of Egypt and to the shore of the Red Sea as the Pharaoh sent his army to kill or capture those Hebrews and bring them back to, as slaves again. It was Moses who led them across as God parted the waters in front of them. And it was Moses who met God on Mount Sinai and brought down the Ten Commandments. Moses' story is this epic, incredible life of faith and trust in God. Every life, though, begins somewhere. And Moses' life began with an incredible act of faith by his parents in the midst of circumstances that, that they never would have chosen for themselves or their own baby. The background of their, their act of faith is told in Exodus 1, chapter 1, verses 6 through chapter 2, verses 3. And let's read down through that because it tells the story. It says, And then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. 
And so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to, to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was Shephra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the, Hebrews, uh, to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. And so God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as a wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Well, that's a long passage, but it tells a, uh, it tells a story and it paints, paints a, a picture of the circumstances of slavery and bondage and oppression and, a, and, an, and an evil king. And that's, that's the uh, circumstances that Moses' parents found themselves in. And so picture yourself there. And you can understand what a predicament that was. I remember when, when my wife Jen was pregnant with our children and how it was a time of excitement and anticipation. I remember how we prepared everything prior to the baby's arrival. We worried about the typical things. What color the nursery would be, what, what we would choose for a name, which hospital that might have a better maternity room. We wondered whether it would be a boy or a girl whether our baby would, would be healthy. But we never had to worry that if, if it were a boy, that we would face the prospect of having to take our newborn baby and throwing him in the river to drown. Sometimes life doesn't work out the way that we planned. Sometimes life doesn't go according to script. There are times when things turn out far differently than we expected. There are moments in life when we find ourselves in situations where there are no easy answers, and yet choices must be made. It was their faith in God that determined the choices that Moses' parents made. Hebrews 11:23 says that by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid of the king's edict. The Bible teaches us that we are to obey the authorities that are placed over us. Hebrews 13.7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Romans 13.1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Titus 3.1 says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, 
1 Peter 2.3 says, Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. Again and again, repeatedly, Christians are called to submit and be subject to authority. Christians are to be models of obedience to authority. In all cases, in any situation where there is an authority over us, we're called to be models of submission. Children to their parents, students to their teachers, employees to their employers, and citizens to government. And we're to obey human authority even when it's inconvenient, burdensome, unpleasant, when we disagree politically. It's a biblical principle. We are to abide by and comply with the laws and decrees of government and authority. We are always to obey up to a point because that principle has a limitation because there is a higher authority. We are to disobey any authority that contradicts the commands of God. We are to disobey any authority that forbids us to do something that God has commanded or that commands us to do something that God forbids. Pharaoh's decree was a direct contradiction to God's commandment, thou shalt not kill. And while that's a simple thing to understand, that we are to disobey any authority that forbids us to do something that God commands, or commands us to do something that God forbids, being put in that situation can be extremely difficult. And that was the case for Amram and Jochebed, Moses' parents. Because Pharaoh was a tyrant. And the tactic of a tyrant is to stamp out opposition by any means. The weapons of the tyrant are intimidation and making examples of those who disobey. And we can be sure that if Pharaoh's decree that the male babies were to be killed was disobeyed, then it would be the family that paid the price for that disobedience. The penalty for that disobedience would not only be a death sentence for the child, but also the family of that child would be put to death too, in order to make an example. So imagine the peril and pressure that they would have been under during that pregnancy. Before the days of ultrasounds and being able to reveal whether it was going to be a boy or a girl, those would have been nine long months of waiting and not knowing. And we don't know what their conversations might have been like, but we do know is that when the baby was born, verse 23 says that they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's decree. They saw that he was a beautiful child does not mean simply that they thought that he was a real cute baby. But rather they saw his worth in God's eyes. They saw the worth of their child in the eyes of God. And they were not afraid of the king's command. They turned to God. In the midst of circumstances that they didn't create for themselves and placing themselves and their family at great risk, they looked to God to lead them out of that situation. They literally had to place their baby in the river and let go and trust God with him. Faith is a confidence that keeps believing that all the pieces are somehow going to fit together. Even when you don't have the big picture to work from. It's believing that God has a purpose, even when there seems to be no reason. 
Faith that endures has confidence that even when we don't know where we're going, how things are going to turn out, God does. And as difficult as the circumstances were, they they placed all their faith in God. They expected God to find a way out. Sometimes life doesn't work out the way that we planned. But it always works out the way God has planned. Sometimes life doesn't go according to our script, but it always goes according to His. There are times when things turn out far differently than we expected, but circumstances never catch God by surprise. I want to take you back to that story about my friend Ken and that day when he found out that his daughter was pregnant. I remember him saying, she's 16, Stace, I'm going home, I need to take care of it. And there was no mistaking what that meant. Taking care of meant getting rid of. And I remember that my own daughter, Lindsay, was almost the the same exact age. And the thing that raced through my head was that it could easily be me in his place. The roles reversed. I remember feeling the gravity of that moment, the weight of it, that this was a decision that mattered. And I remember how God was telling me in that muted voice of his that I needed to speak up at that moment. And I'll tell you how hard that was and how much I wrestled with that because my nature isn't to put myself into the middle of other people's situations. And I'm ashamed of how many times I've shrunk away from sharing my faith. But this time was different. So I spoke up and I said, Can, hold on for a minute before you go. Stop and think about this before you make a decision because the worst decisions are made when we're upset. And I told him how I believed that there are no accidents in life, that everything happens for a reason, and that my own mom had found herself pregnant with me before she and my dad were married. And how I could imagine, imagine how it might have been easier for them to just not having to deal with explaining that to their own parents. But they didn't decide that, and that I'm alive today because of it. And he listened and nodded, and when I left, I really couldn't tell what he was thinking and if that had, had made any difference. And in the days after that conversation, he told me that he had decided, they had decided as a family, that his daughter would have the baby, and and I knew that it was a little girl, but in that weird way that guys have about avoiding deep conversations, we never really spoke about it much after that. But I always wondered about that day. And so, although we don't work together anymore, we keep in touch, and still meet up for coffee or breakfast from time to time. And a couple months ago, we met one morning for breakfast, and I asked him if he remembered that, and he said, I think about it all the time. And so I said, well, what was it that made you change your mind? And he just said, it was what you said. And his eyes teared up, and he said, we just didn't know what to do when she found out she was pregnant. That's real life. That's our friends. That's us. When stuff hits us that we're not expecting, we just don't know what to do or how to handle it. But I'm amazed at how God turned that situation around. When that little girl was born, her mom named her Nevaeh, 
which is heaven, spelled backward. She's 10 years old now, and Ken, her granddad, says there's something extra special about her. And I bet today that he would step in front of a train to save that little girl. I look back now and, and see the way that God intervened and changed the course of that little girl's life. I see that he was there all along. His fingerprints are all over it. My faith is strengthened by seeing God at work through that entire situation. It's strengthened by seeing the faith that Moses' parents had to face fear, and it's strengthened by my friends Brian and Linda Sullivan. Their stories allow me to see God's fingerprints in my own life. I see parents who decided that God had a greater plan than their own comfort. I think of each of them, Brian, Nevaeh, Moses, and I see children who were in vulnerable circumstances, and I see a heavenly Father who did not leave nor forsake them, and I see that in my own life. Chapter 9 of Matthew, there's this great exchange between two blind men that follow Jesus, and they cry out to him to heal them. And he asks them this question. He says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And verse 29 says, he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be done to you. According to your faith, according to how much you believe, according to what you expect, we never know when we're going to get that phone call that delivers us the bad news. We never know when that routine visit to the doctor turns out to discovery of something serious. You never know when it will be your daughter that has gotten herself into a situation that scares you to death. Problems, trials, disappointments, difficulties, tough circumstances, we never know when we might be dropped into the middle of them. Some of you may be in the middle of them right now and they're testing you, testing your faith. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. So let me ask you some questions. What are you expecting God to do when you find yourself in the difficult circumstances of life? Are you trusting His authority like Moses' parents? Or are you going it alone, taking matters into your own hands like my friend Ken was ready to do? Does fear and worry keep you awake? Or are you able to rest in the fact that God has a plan and a purpose and that he will see you through it? Are you able to let go and trust God with the outcome? God has a purpose for us in the difficulties. Our faith is tested and built in difficult situations, not when life is easy. Billy Graham once said, the world judges the Christian by his life, not by his belief. We don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Can someone look at the way that you choose to face the difficulties of life and see evidence of your faith in God? The way you choose to face the difficulties of life matters. It matters because it is the evidence of what you believe is true, who you place your trust in. So I'm going to wrap up with this. That my hope is that you can see that the trials of life in a di the trials of life in a different way. 
and that you view your walk with Jesus Christ less as a way to avoid problems and more of a way to navigate through them because he's there with you. And whether you're facing tough circumstances right now or you find yourself in them tomorrow, that when you, face, when you place your faith in God, when you believe in him, <clears throat> you can expect that he is working everything out for your good. You can trust his authority over any situation and that you can let go of control and leave the outcome in his mighty hands. Let's pray.